the product that I'm working on is our new uh, local analytics platform. And that's taking all this data and it's allowing developers and investors to map that and see and search by investment thesis. So you can really find sites that like match exactly the the sense of place that you're looking for and, and all sorts of other factors like zoning and demographics. It's just a way of like overlaying all these levels of data to find sites that really match what you're looking for. And then on the flip side, when you have maybe already identified a site and you want to go deep, it helps you just pull all of that data in one place and get insights into what you should develop there. Welcome to the Placemaking Podcast. Podcast. The show geared at helping real estate developers learn and understand important aspects of the development process while improving communities one at a time. Each week, we'll discuss major facets of the real estate development process with industry professionals. Now, here's your host, Matthew Lowe's. Hello and welcome to episode number 41 of the Placemaking Podcast. Another great episode is coming your way. I'm excited to share this next conversation with all of you. Sarah is the head of industry relations at Local Logic. She has a unique mix of experiences that have helped to shape her. She has worked as an architectural intern, mechanical superintendent, consultant, fellow with U.S. Department of Commerce, economic developer, and managing director of placemaking at Transwestern, all before starting her role at Local Logic. Needless to say, she knows her stuff when it comes to the business of real estate. As mentioned above, she is the head of industry relations at Local Logic. The goal of Local Logic is to help individuals and developers make the right real estate decisions. They utilize AI and user-generated data to quantify location qualities for any address in the U.S. and Canada currently. The company analyzes over 80 billion data points each month and currently interpolates them into 17 location scores. As Sarah likes to say, they are the data and insights backing up your investment strategy. Gut check your gut feel. Now in this episode, we're going to discuss the process of data collection at Local Logic, certain data points and trends that have most surprised her during the course of this global pandemic, and what Sarah sees coming next in prop tech in regards to data usage and real estate development. There's loads of great information in this episode, and I greatly appreciate it, Sarah, for taking the time out of her extremely busy schedule to discuss this topic of real estate development data collection with me today. As always, if you have enjoyed the show, I'd ask that you please subscribe to the show and share with your friends in the industry. I promise there will be more exciting conversations on the shows to come this year. So without further ado, let's start the show. Hey, welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on here. Sounds like you're staying pretty busy, so I appreciate your time. I gave you a little intro before the show, but if you could just kind of give us an idea of where you started in real estate, and then we'll just kind of work from there up to uh, Local Logic, where you're at now. Yeah, so um, my first job out of college was working in construction in New York City, and I really chose to do that because I wanted to understand how the built environment was actually built, you know, all the kind of politics and just the day-to-day of what that looked like. 
um, I went into, uh, I always knew I wanted to get into real estate. So I wanted to make that transition. I got my MBA and it was right around the time that the market crashed. So it wasn't a great time to get a job in real estate, you know, per se, but I went into economic development and that ended up being a really interesting sort of public side of the built environment. And um, I got to know communities all over the US, which was just great. It really helped me um, actually finally make the transition into real estate as I went and worked in um, site selection and incentives negotiation. That was sort of the way that I made the transition because I knew so many communities and economic developers um, that I would need to talk to as companies were looking to locate um, in different places. So. I think that's kind of how I made that transition. Um, once I got into commercial real estate, I was able to really start to experiment with the idea of placemaking in commercial assets. Um, I was able to make that transition at Transwestern as the managing director of placemaking there. And I think um, I saw a demo of the local analytics platform while I was at Transwestern of, um, with Local Logic. And I was just blown away because I think as I was trying to do placemaking on commercial assets, I was always looking for data to back up these sort of experiential characteristics of a place. And it was so hard to find the data that I was looking for to, to really help make solid investment decisions, you know, on more than just gut feel or being in a place and thinking, oh, this is what it could be. It's and so once quantifiable. I thought, yeah, quantifiable. Yeah. And I was just blown away. Um, and so when I had the opportunity to join Local Logic, I took it. Wow. So your first job was in construction. Absolutely. Was, how did you get that job and what did that look like? I'm just curious. Well, I somehow knew someone at Turner Construction. Um through, you know, just family connections growing up. And I showed up, they assigned me to a lab project, um, a cancer research lab. And just based on what was needed at the time, I went into being a mechanical superintendent. I had never done any kind of mechanical engineering, <laughs> um, but kind of got like a crash course. And a couple months after I, I started, the guy that was right above me left for another job. And so I found myself essentially being the superintendent on a massive cancer research center um, for all the mechanical, wow. electrical, and plumbing systems. And so I really, I think if there's ever a theme to my career, it's like jumping out of the pan into the fire, like over and over again. Um, that's kind of what happened. Wow. And yeah. that's not a, that's not an easy project for mechanical and electrical and plumbing, I would imagine with the, a lab like that. No, it was some of the most complex equipment, but you know, it's really interesting today as we have so much conversation around um, HEPA filters and air filtration, I was dealing with all of that um, in a, in a lab sense. And so mm -hmm. it's just like all full, full circle for me, but it was also interesting because I was really the first woman that a lot of our contractors had ever had to report to or, or be managed by. So that was also a a fun <laughs> right college job experience. Very good learning experience. Oh, sure, sure. In much ways. So before the call, you said you kind of wanted to get into real estate for a while. Why why do you say that? Why what 
drew you to real estate early on? Yeah, I grew up, um, my dad was an architect by training, but it wasn't what he did for his day job. And so he really, he used to flip historic houses. So he would buy these kind of rundown historic houses. And then it was like a labor of love to bring them, you know, into the, into homes and into offices and things like that. And I just, I really loved that process. I loved just working on the architecture and the the building itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always knew that that's where I was headed. And um, I studied architecture and urban design at NYU. And so I've always kind of had this in my mind that I was somehow going to be involved with buildings. The built environment, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so got a job in construction, got your, uh, got your hands dirty, got to under, see, you know, blueprint to, to final construction. And then, mm-hmm. then you went, was it first to Transwestern or was there a step in between? Oh, there were many steps in many between. Many steps, yeah. Many steps. Um, yeah, I, I got my MBA at Yale. I went and did a, a presidential management fellowship at the Department of Commerce um, and did and worked in economic development. And then I um, actually went up and did hurricane disaster recovery um, with small businesses up in New Jersey, um, worked for the state up there. And then came down to Atlanta. I worked for the Federal Reserve Bank for a little bit, working with small business uh, research, and then made the transition. I actually worked for Cushman and Wakefield first, um, doing site selection and incentives. Had my own consulting company, and then was at Transwestern. So, wow, I've done a lot of different aspects of real estate. Yeah, yeah, yeah you really, you really hit everything. <laughs> Pretty much hit everything. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, and, okay. And so now let's transition back to local logic. What was your first experience with them? It sounded like when you saw their presentation uh, at Transwestern. And then what did that look like um, going forward? Did you just approach them or were they looking for someone or how'd they? Well, we are in active growth mode right now. So they were actually um, raising their series A when I saw the demo. Mm-hmm. And I knew some guys over at Shadow Ventures who were leading that, that raised for them. And um, I reached out to them. We had a conversation and, and just started talking. Um, so that's how I ended up at Local Logic, And I'm thrilled. I like nerd out every day. I, I took this class in grad school um, in the architecture school at Yale that it was all different ways of mapping data. I am such a a, a cool map nerd that yeah. um, you like the pretty maps. The... <laughs> yeah, I love I love maps. It's yeah, yeah. It's visualization of data. It's, yeah, it's yeah, and it's um, another form of the the built world, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so local logic has got kind of a very unique niche in um, real estate. Can you describe kind of that process of collecting data and organizing data that local logic utilizes, or maybe just a, a kind of an, a broad overview first of, of what lo- local logic provides to uh, the customers? Sure. So local logic is a a location insights company. And we have really kind of two different streams of what we do. 
are, we've been around for about six years and our first product is really this web tool um, for home buyers. It shows up on sites like Zillow and Redfin and Remax. Um, and it really helps home buyers find locations that match their lifestyle desires and needs, um, which I think is really cool. It's a way of understanding those previously sort of subjective, you know, unquantifiable mm -hmm. sense of place, you know, that feeling you get when you're, when you're there. Um, and then on the flip side, the, pro the product that I'm working on is our new uh, local analytics platform. And that's taking all this data and it's allowing developers and investors to map that and see and search by investment thesis. So you can really find sites that like match exactly the, the sense of place that you're looking for and, and all sorts of other factors like zoning and demographics. It's just a way of like overlaying all these levels of data to find sites that really match what you're looking for. And then on the flip side, when you have maybe already identified a site and you wanna go deep, it helps you just pull all of that data in one place and get insights into what you should develop there, what the okay. highest and best use case would be. Okay. So initially it's, it's a, a location finding service. Well, the product like you're working on right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it, it, you basically could create heat maps of uh, basically by overlaying these, this data to find which areas match more closely to um, the, the developer or the owner's um, kind of ideal place. Yeah, I think it's it's really cool because um, let's say you're building an apartment building for millennials and you want to, um, you, you know you're looking for somewhere that has good coffee shops, good restaurants, good walkability, um, also has the right demographics, you know, mm -hmm. that it, it, millennials will want to live there. Um, maybe you're looking for people who are in a certain income range or, you know, all those different factors that go in and, and you can go search by all of that and then see where those places are and where opportunities are. Um, I think it's pretty cool. I just, I love being able to say like, I want to be near parks. I want to, you know, yeah. all these lifestyle things that I think um, are just more and more important, especially during this time, as we like look at the changes in our behavior uh, mm -hmm. during COVID and like we're spending so much more time in where we live and, you know, demanding more from, our outdoor spaces and things like that. So it's kind of cool to be able to identify all those things in a location in one, you know, one uh, platform. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. So you take into account, I guess, what are the, some of the non, which, well, I mean, like you mentioned some that weren't as quantifiable. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of those typical layers that you're looking yeah. at? We call them location scores. They're, they're okay. like the characteristics. Um, one of my favorite ones is quiet because some people want to live somewhere that's quiet. Some people want to live somewhere that's more vibrant. We, vibrant is also another one of our scores. Um, but with quiet, it's really interesting because we're taking into account the noise levels of surrounding businesses and, and uses of land. So maybe there's a train track that has trains going by every hour and that's gonna be really loud. Or maybe it's next to a daycare, which is loud during the day, but mm -hmm. quiet at night. Mm -hmm. uh, 
that would be scored differently than if you were near like a bar or a nightclub that's open till 3 a.m. and pumping yeah. loud music. So it takes into account all of those things, um, which, you know, can be infinitely helpful if you can't actually go there, boots on the ground. It's a way of quickly um, comparing that that specific characteristic, you know, to other sites you might be looking at. Okay, I, I've got to ask, vibrancy, yeah. how do you measure vibrancy? Of course, <laughs> You want to know vibrancy? <laughs> just, um, <laughs> just curious. Yeah, I mean, it's it. All of our scores have a lot of data that go behind them, and so these are kind of like high level. This is sure. this is what's involved, but um, vibrancy is really taking into account like, is this a twenty four seven location? You know, are you surrounded by things that are open all night, all day? You can mm -hmm. go get a cup of coffee. Are there cultural, you know, things like comedy clubs or music venues nearby? Um, just like the vibrancy of the area. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, and is, I guess you just collect uh, data as far as what local businesses are there, uh, properties do you I assume take into account zoning? For okay. we, just to give you an idea, we, have well over 3000 data sources so this could go on for 3000 okay <laughs> yeah and, and we're we're getting like 300 billion data points so um and that essentially gets narrowed down to over 100 data insights per location mm -hmm. so yes all of those things <laughs> just swirling into our location scores okay so you you have about 100 different criteria that you can start or is there a, it sounds like there's probably more than that but well I mean these are all just the ways that we can look at it I, in our tool we try to break it down into what we think is going to be the most useful and tangible when you're making those investment decisions mm. okay I think too many it would be overwhelming sure it's a lot of yeah that's a lot of data <laughs> yeah. but that's the thing you know I recently um, heard that for developers and investors, sometimes that's the hurdle. Like you, you have all this experience in doing what you do, but the data analytics side is like kind of a hole mm -hmm. in in those firms' capacities. And so that this really makes it easy. It's like you just log in, you say what you're looking for, and and it does it all for you. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's it's really allows people to have so much more capacity in data analytics than they might normally have. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Are they so it's a subscription service or how's that how's it set up for you guys? If yeah, somebody we, wants we have um, individual yeah. logins that you you can um purchase, you know, by on a monthly basis. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's that intuitive that uh sounds like anybody could really you know, once they have a login, they can pretty much figure out how to make it work <laughs> yeah it is it is pretty yeah. intuitive um i i try to set everybody up so you know because i i think as you pointed out i've worked in so many different aspects of real estate i think part of the fun you know of this job for me is that everyone i meet i kind of i can think about what their use case is going to be and then when we go through it for the first time I have that in my mind of like what kind of data they might be interested in knowing and 
the kinds of decisions they need to make. So um, just yeah. another nerdy aspect of, of what I'm doing. Well, that's a great point. I mean, you're, you've got the public side, the private side, everywhere in between, it sounds like. <laughs> and so you can kind of direct them to certain layers, certain uh, data that's more, I guess, relevant to what they're looking for. That's, that's a good mm-hmm. point. So since about last March, when the world's kind of, well, the U.S. since March has uh, kind of shut down, what does that look like for you guys as far as how you're kind of processing and delivering and marketing this data since COVID? Well, it's interesting because on our market data, it's all um, pulled from the last six months. So we can we can really see um, what's happened within Trends, COVID yeah. already. And I think um, it's helpful because sometimes data sources take so long to update, you know, and um, this just gives like a more real-time decision-making ability. Um, but we've seen some really interesting trends, which I guess if you think about uh, what's been happening with increased remote work and we've been doing this long enough where I think our behaviors have really shifted, you know, at yeah. the beginning, like, oh, two weeks. It'll be over, yeah. <laughs> and then we'll go back to normal. But now it's like, okay, it's been a year. Like, what is normal? You know, mm-hmm. we've done this long enough that psychologically we've made some shifts. Um, and so I think we're starting to see that in how people, in what consumer demand is, you know, if you don't anticipate needing to go back into the office as frequently or ever, mm-hmm. then that influences maybe how long of a potential commute you would have to a major city. And maybe you're willing to, um, you know, have that longer distance to have more space because you're going to be spending so much more time in your house and you need like a home office or your home is also your school and your, you yeah. know, gym. All and blah, above. Blah. Yeah. Yeah, all those things. Um, so people are kind of making that trade off. Um, I think in in more dense cities, we're seeing demand to be near grocery stores. Like the it, it's it's um, really outstripping like being near restaurants or or you know like things oh. that might have been more important before, right. like being near mass transit, for example. Right now, you just want to be able to walk to the grocery store because that's like the only thing we can do. You know. Sure. Um, and I think, you know, not all of these things will stick because a lot of it does have to do with like our public health concerns. Um, but but it's interesting. I think that the impact on where we choose to live and what we choose to live in um, from how the way that we're working is changing is really interesting to me. You know, like the melding yeah. of all my, my worlds right now. Yeah, it's like I said, it's it's pretty interesting to see what things are kind of pushing those shifts. Like you said, if you you know, the, people are twisting this lever over here about you know working from home, and then how does that affect you know what people values and what people are looking for um, over here, and then how you know you're seeing restaurants and bars and everything are, are having issues right now and um you know seeing how 
that's not necessarily as in demand being adjacent to are you, are you seeing a shift further out from these larger cities i know that's always been a ever since you know probably july or so of last year when when this thing realized you know people were realizing this wasn't going away right away uh you know there's all this talk about people shifting back into suburbia basically we were migrating in and now it sounds like they i'm just curious if it's interesting i think in there's we kind of have two different types of cities in the u.s right like we have the massive like a new york where it's so dependent on subway you know um getting around and Mm -hmm. so you're seeing some people move in from the outer boroughs because they don't want to have that subway commute right now. However, Mm -hmm. then you're seeing people move out um, to get more space that's more affordable. But then I think the vast majority of the kinds of cities that are growing and were growing before COVID, because we've been in this um, talent migration battle for talent story for a lot longer than COVID. Mm -hmm. And you're really seeing these secondary and tertiary cities that have been, that have like a real sense of place, you know, the, the ones that have invested in placemaking in their downtowns and their public spaces. Those are the cities that have been winning and are increasingly winning right now because, you know, when you say suburbia, it's kind of a lot of those, their cities, but they feel more suburban when you're comparing mm-hmm. it to a place like New York. Um, so I think that, when you think about what that offers, what it offers more space, it, it more outdoor options, um, you can start to understand like why that's also a winning place to move right now. Yeah, and I think that's that's also interesting. Is like it doesn't necessarily matter as much anymore now that a lot of companies have really adapted to this work from home. Or, or attempted to adapt to this work from home attitude is that it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to live next to the big corporate office in New York city. You can, you can literally work from anywhere for most, well, for most in the service industry that, you know, um, have that ability. Um, so have you started to see that? We're not, um, we're not pulling skill set data yet. Mm-hmm. I hope someday we do, because I know that's really important, but I think we're still seeing um, trends in population growth. And um, I think the kinds of things that people are demanding, um, you know, if you're working in a service job, then you probably don't care to the, if, if you have um, extra space in your apartment for an office, because you have to leave your house to work. Right. That's not really an option for you. Um, yeah. Yeah. So what uh, kind of talked about the data and how this is so important and how this can be so beneficial. What, what other types of prop tech, property technology, CRE tech coming? Uh, what else do you see coming that, that could also benefit people that are maybe looking more as a real estate development? or looking as a real estate developer, that kind of thing. Is there, uh, data is king, but (laughs) is there certain ways or certain technologies that you're seeing coming up that 
should be aware yeah, of. I think, I think that, um, you know, local logic is a good example of this because what we're working towards is really using AI to predict and prescribe that highest and best use. So right mm. now we're doing a great job of gathering that enormous amount of data, doing the analytics, giving you the insights. But I think the next step for us and, and what I'm seeing in a lot of other prop tech um, that's coming right now is that use of AI so that we can really get to more um, understanding of what the trends have been and predicting, you know, mm-hmm. what should be. So I think that that's, that's where we're going. And, and that's really, I mean, that's the crystal ball that real estate's been looking for, you know, what sure. should we do here? Tell me, tell me what we should build, you know? Um, so I, that's pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. That's wow. You know, um, in undergrad, I didn't tell you this part of my story, but I think you can probably surmise by now that I'm heavily into the real estate and things like that. Um, but I, I wrote my undergrad thesis on placemaking, and it was all because I watched Lower Manhattan kind of shut down after September 11th. And I started to think it, it was sort of like that um, that economic development side of placemaking, you know, and of real estate. And I think that's one of the reasons I love being at Local Logic because their whole mission is using data to make decisions and build places that better serve the community. And so I think that's also where we're going, where, yes, we can use our data and our analytics to help make really good investment decisions. But ultimately, you know, there's that ROI is also good for the for the community. If the community is telling you this is what we want. And then that's what we're, you know, informing to be built. It's kind of like this, this really positive circle of how we're shaping our cities. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So you're, you're saying basically through the use of what's surrounding these areas and what certain people are, are seeming to utilize the areas, you can kind of tailor, um, an offering, not necessarily an offering, but tailor someone with an offering to a certain place that makes sense for that community as a whole. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's really interesting because I think that type of um, public engagement right now kind of exists in like a very um, stunted way in, in just public processes to approve developments. And this is sort of like expanding that and like, democratizing the whole process of what gets built in our cities, which I think is really cool. Right. You don't have just the few people that show up to that city council meeting that. Yeah. It's more than just those three people (laughs) who show up every time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, that's, that's interesting. And I'm curious, you mentioned placemaking. I I like to hear what people think the term kind of means to them. So Mm -hmm. For for you, what do you see as placemaking? What what is that definition? I see. I think it's really about creating a sense of place. And I know that there's like a more of an urban planning, urban design, public places um, application of this. But I believe, especially in my in my previous job, that that same concept of creating a sense of place is important not only in our public spaces, but in any building or any development that we are creating because the the relationship between people and places is so important. You know, like 
where we are, how it feels, how how we interact with it, how it supports our well-being and our like daily experience is just incredibly impactful. So I like to think about placemaking as really that sense of place that's purposeful and intentional in any in any um, asset or environment. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I talked to Ashley Styles. She was uh, posted that one recently, but she really focuses on branding, the development, and and coming basically like like you're saying uh, more on the private scale of, of um, placemaking as far as creating a sense of place in that development by curating the the everything, the colors, the that just everything to create a space yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) every every piece of that experience so you know one thing i was just going to say is i think another uh thing that is in common with both the public and private side of placemaking is like for me the goal has always been how does this drive social connectivity you know and just it's basically about community building right like in in both in both scopes so yeah, I mean, a lot of times the private spills out into the public realm, and um, I mean, it obviously is is there. It's it's a part of the public, but uh, you know, it, it can really some areas really get a jolt even from the surrounding areas uh, from a, a certain project that can sure. really build up the whole area. So. <laughs> There's so much in here. <laughs> they, uh, and I really love this because, you know, kind of taking it out a little bit from, from uh, the technology side and more of the spatial side, how, how people are, are uh, really not applying but interacting with these developments. Just the idea of being able to select something for not only the highest and best use, but um, doing what's best for the community is uh, that's pretty amazing. And it, it could help to, I've talked to developers and we have all these questions, all these, you know, all these decisions that have to be made in a development and you don't always know the answer. Um, you know, if, I put 10 foot ceilings in an apartment complex. Is that going to raise, you know, the valuation any or not at all? Is, is it worth the cost? You know, all these things. And I think just being able to select a site and know through some sort of quantifiable measure that this is, it's going to be successful as long as you are um, creating that space that needs to be there. I think that's mm-hmm. that's a big help. That's um, yeah. I think also just like not relying on comps of what are happening in that same. area at that time because it, it might not be where, what's happening three years from now when that thing is actually built. You know, sure. um, yeah. that's another that's another subject. How do you <laughs> how do you look at these trends to to see? I yeah. mean, that's that's There's another so thing. Yeah, there's just so many decisions that have to be made up front that the more that you can rely on data to make those decisions instead of gut feel, you're lowering your risk of investment, right? So sure. it's it's amazing like 
how these are major investments, right? Like um, oh, yeah. people people do so much more research in some cases and rely on so much more data to make more minor decisions. <laughs> buying um, a car, right? Yeah, <laughs> buying like, a car, yeah. perfect example, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of like, okay, this is an industry that's really ready to shift. And I think there's already a lot of sort of those early adopters out there who are seeing that and, and adjusting how they're approaching it. And so I think that's, that's really where it's headed. You know, like when you asked before, where, where are we going with this? Um, but it's really, I think this shift in how decisions are made at the very beginning, you got to mm-hmm. back up, you got to gut check that gut feel, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's becoming, it's taking a while, but uh, real estate's a very antiquated field as a whole, it seems like. And to see some of this start to, uh, I mean, like you said, it's it's all coming back to data. So, um, you but you know. know, real estate is like that's something. Once you build it, like hopefully it'll be there for a long time. Even the the transaction cycle of real estate is so much slower than like other things. You know, uh-huh. I mean, everything just takes longer than you know buying a car, for example. <laughs> and so. You know, it kind of, I guess it's, it um, makes sense that something that moves that slow would also be slow to adopt uh, these new sure. things. I think it's happening, you know. Sure. Similar to construction. It's just, it, it's taking yeah. time, but. You're, you're building, you're literally building something, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Awesome. So looking forward, say I was to Wikipedia, your name or, or local logic. Let's let's just say if I was to Google your name first and mm-hmm. and look back, say I'm 200 years in the future. What what kind of legacy would you like to leave as part of this this crazy experiment that you guys are leading on? <laughs> so I mean, but just personally, what 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 would you like your legacy to be? I think I would like to be known for. Um, for hopefully having pushed the conversation forward of how to really focus on like the people using places and, and creating senses of space, that placemaking. I just want to be known for kind of pushing that conversation. Um, I hope that I'm known for really serving the communities that I've lived in and just being like very civically engaged and um, leading those communities better places you know, that's so 200 years from now, somebody's like, Oh, that's why this is so cool. You know? <laughs> yes. Yes. Let's Google. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. That, and, and now to kind of go towards logic and local logic, I, I'm sure it's similar and that's why you guys it, have been such a good match, <laughs> yeah. but uh, you, th- you think it's along those same lines as providing uh, I, think, or, I think at Local Logic, we're really we want to um, have our data enable cities that are inclusive, you know, and in all the in all the maturations of of what that means. And um, I think that that would be success for us. Wow, you got some work to do, right? Hey, <laughs> got the data. That's right. That's right. Well, 
I want to thank you for all your time. I want to give you a, a little bit of a, a a time to give us some uh, ways to find out more about you and about Local Logic and and where they can find out more. I think checking out uh, locallogic.co would be a great first step. You can find me um, on LinkedIn. I'm very active there, and yeah. uh, I, I would love to connect with more people who love placemaking. Perfect. I'll uh, include links in, uh, in the website as well. So. Awesome. Thank you. This has well, been fun. Yeah, I appreciate all your time talking about local logic and how you guys are utilizing data to really solve some creative problems in the industry.